I, maybe a little bit or something. I am not less than. I you. It's not. I am not you. a number. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Literary Literary. With us, as always, Mr. Sean Fall. I am Joey Bonnier. And here he is, Joseph Bonnier. Sean O'Brien. Hi, guys. Howdy. Is everyone well? I should put that in stereo. I know. We should. Go inter- interview them yeah. between the chairs. How's my mic? Mick? Is my mm-hmm. Mick okay? Does it sound okay? Oh, yeah. I feel like I sound making low. an Irish joke. Yeah. You can turn yourself up if you want. Um, is it just me or is it the Schmerzen guys? That okay. should be you. No, no, no. I guess it's just me. Yeah. Um, I forgot. I know I asked this last episode, but we keep getting pushed back. When is this episode coming out? I want. Is this an October episode? No, I think we're way past October. Here. I know that's a problem. Yeah, I need to know when these episodes are coming. Out. Why oh do you God. want to do this on air? Because I need. To, <laughs> because I want to know. And we already started. Okay. But it doesn't I was too to busy be. getting a drink while it happened. Fair enough. <laughs> Although, I, so let me give you guys two options here. Okay. I'm going to give you three. I'm going to give you three options. All right. Okay. Four options. All okay. Right. I'm going to give you four all options. Right. I'm going to say, okay, anything. It is your but call. Right. It is your call. Okay. It doesn't matter when it comes out. Sean Fa, you and I will determine when this comes out later. It'll mm. be fine. Here are your options. Number one, Sean Fa, mm-hmm. your birthday was yesterday. Yep. I will give you the opportunity oh, to Jesus. read anything we you want at all, period. No matter what, I will read anything you want me to no, read. I was going to say, as always, I would like to read nothing. While we wait for our food. Oh. Okay, that's possible. That's possible. That's what, that is a reality. We could just talk. Uh, we could just have an LL where we, where we talk. I'm not, I'm not kidding around. Because we don't have five other sir. shows for that. Happy birthday, Mr. Fa. Yeah. Hey, Boner. Yeah. Your birthday is next Friday. That's true. We will be around next Friday, in which case I'll be happy to read anything you'd like to read. However, I will also, presupposing this episode could come out next Sunday, I will give you the opportunity to read anything you want. Wait, That's so, option two. Okay. That's option two. Okay, I understand. Option three is you guys collaborate, and I'll read something between the two of you that like is a nice like kind of embodiment of whoever you guys want. Anything you want will find it somehow... I don't know how. Maybe I'll just postpone it. Maybe we'll pause. Nope. We'll do a different episode. It's my day. Sean Fa's birthday was yesterday. Okay. Sean has just laid down one book on the table emphatically. <laughs> and that's it. There it is. So. And that's it. The, the It says fee mm-hmm. on the top in blue. Fee economics in one lesson mm-hmm. by Henry Hazlitt. As I've said many times before, the classic explanation of how the world works. Yeah. Why is the fee in blue? Uh, fee is the name of the organization that is uh, responsible for printing and sending out this specific book. Okay. Uh, this is a book that was uh, number one recommended by Ben Shapiro and also a high recommendation from another personal hero, Mr. Mike Rowe. Shafa, so, who is Ben Shapiro? Uh, ben Shapiro is uh, the right-wing rain man. Um, oh, my God. The uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, he's the radio host that has set uh, Berkeley on fire, or has uh, um, you know inspired or been part of those Berkeley speeches that have been going on. Um, but basically, just a right wing uh, talk show host with a, a lot of 
factual information spewing constantly. And who is Mike Rowe? Mike Rowe is the uh, previous host of the show Dirty Jobs or in some other incarnations. Someone's got to do it. But uh, basically just a, uh, you know, regular working stiff type guy that uh, has a TV show. Okay. Cool. Well, in in Sean's uh, in Sean's classic recommendation, we'll read the back first. Mm. Uh, it says the primer on economic principles. Primer. Brilli- the primer on economic Sean's principles <laughs> brilliantly analyzes this the seen and unseen consequences of political and economic actions. In the words of Nobel laureate F. A. Hayek, uh, no relation to Selma. There is, quote, no other modern book from which the intelligent layman can learn so much about the basic truths of economics in so short a time. Mm -hmm. Then there's a a sort of blurb. It says, uh, quote, few people since Adam Smith have managed to explain economics in terms so easy to understand and so relevant to the issues of the day that the subject leaps off the page. Henry Hazlitt was one of them. And this is the immortal classic he gifted to the world. Uh, Lawrence W. Reed, President, Foundation for Economic Education. And to continue to preface, uh, this is a, uh, a book that they send out for like $1 if you uh, just go onto their website, and I have not read any of it. Okay. <laughs> do you want to know about the author, or do you want to just go into it? Um, how long is he about the author? Very short. All right, yeah, let's do it. Henry Hazlitt, 1894 to 1993. Mm-hmm was the great economic journalist of the 20th century, author of Economics in One Lesson. Among 20 other books, he was the chief editorial writer for the New York, the failing New York Times, <laughs> literary editor of The Nation, and a business columnist for Newsweek. He served in an editorial capacity for the Freeman. The Freemasons? And was a board member of the Foundation for Economic Education. Mm. So, contents. Preface, econ- part one, the lesson. One, the lesson. Uh, goes from three to nine. Part two, the lessons applied. And there seems to be uh, like 22, 23 parts to that. Okay. Uh, let's so just 21 total. And then part three, the lesson restated and the note on books. So let's like any great story, it's broken into three parts. <laughs> Yay. <clears throat> preface. Oh, preface or the lesson? Uh, the lesson. It's, I mean, unless the preface seems... Skip used, the preface? Yeah. It's two pages. Um, yeah. I don't know. Up to you, man. How does it feel? Does it feel entertainable? I'll read the paragraph. Okay. Right. It just Start gets, it. It's a little I'll bit. Stop you it's a bored. little bit. It's a little self cocky, but. Oh, nice. Uh, what, where's it on the proof scale? I, it, it's 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 not on the proof scale. Oh. Hmm. It's it. So yeah, in in many ways, you're probably okay with it. All right. Uh, This book is an analysis of economic fallacies that are at least so prevalent that they have almost become a new orthodoxy. The one thing that has prevented this has been their own self-contradictions, which have scattered those who accept the same premises into a hundred different, quote, schools, for the simple reason that it is impossible in matters touching practical life to be consistently wrong. But the difference between one new school and another is merely that one group— wakes up earlier than another to the absurdities to which its false premises are driving it, and becomes, at that moment, inconsistent by either unwittingly abandoning its false premises or accepting conclusions from them less disturbing or fantastic than those that logic would demand. Uh, Yeah, let's go to the lesson. Yeah, see what I'm saying? (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> it's fine. It's just yeah. very like yeah, yeah. me. Me cack is the cack, and then this cack is like a cack, and the cack is the cack. Cacks. Something like that. Yeah. Kind of. Sounds good. Yep. I'm indignant. What do you guys? What, first of all, what are we having for food? Uh, we got Happy the October. Italian coming. I think we're in November, but whatever. I hope not. Okay. Probably. I hope not. We should do it next week. Okay. He always demands that. Yeah. I know. That's, that's why you never know when things are happening. I know. That's what happens. Because you keep changing when things I have are horror, happening. I have horror stories here with me. Yeah, that's too late for that. It's going to be December by the time they hear your horror stories. I love how I'm drinking this, <laughs> like, in order to kind of, like, wet my whistle. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I'm, I'm kind of drunk. Mm. So the more I drink, the drunker I get. Yeah. That's, that's how drinking works, usually. I mean, that's the intent of said Yeah, action. like I, the, the, yeah. Your, your thirst is quenched and your brain gets, gets, gets like, you know, mushier. Mm. Anyway. Sounds fun. It's like uh, wrapping, wrapping a lemon around a gold brick. Sure. I'm down yeah. with that analogy. I'm, I'm on board. <laughs> <clears throat> Chapter one. The lesson. Because the remedy is the experience, of course. Economics is haunted by more fallacies than any other study known to man. This is no accident. Bunch of dicks. The inherent difficulties of the subject would be great enough in any case, but they are multiplied a thousandfold by a factor that is insignificant in, say, physics, mathematics, or medicine. The special pleading of selfish interests. While every group has certain economic interests identical with those of all groups, every group has also, as we shall see, interests antagonistic to those of all other groups. While certain public policies would be in the long run benefit would in the long run benefit everybody, other policies would benefit one group only at the expense of all other groups. The group that would benefit by such policies, having such a direct interest in them, will argue for them plausibly and persistently. It will hire the best Bible minds to devote their whole time to preventing its case, to presenting its case. Bible minds? By what? Bible minds? By all minds, I think I said. Oh. Where, wait, where did that happen? Where, where was that word? Probably like a lineup. Oh, Bible minds. Oh. Sorry. It will hire the best Bible minds. Like purchasable oh, mercenaries, minds, purchasable yeah. minds to, vo- to devote their whole time to presenting its case. And it will finally either convince the general public that its case is sound or so befuddle it that clear thinking on the subject becomes next to impossible. <laughs> in, addition so far, to these, so good. in addition to these endless pleadings of self-interest, there is a second main factor that spawns new economic fallacies every day. This is the persistent tendency of men to see only the immediate effects of a given policy, or its effects only on a special group, and to neglect to inquire what the long-run effects of that policy will be not only on that special group, but on all groups. It is the fallacy of overlooking secondary consequences. In this lies almost the whole difference between good economics and bad. The bad economist sees only what immediately strikes the eye. The good economist also looks beyond. The bad economist sees only the direct consequences of a, of a proposed course. Uh, the good economist lo- looks also at the longer and indirect consequences. The bad economist sees only what effects of a given policy has been or will be on particular group. The good economist inquires also what the effect of the policy will be on all groups. The distinction may seem obvious. The 
precaution of looking for all the consequences of a given policy to everyone may seem elementary. Doesn't everybody know in his personal life that there are all sorts of indulgence, indulgences delightful at the moment, but disastrous in the end? Doesn't every little boy know that even if he eats enough candy, doesn't every little boy know that if he eats enough candy, he will get sick? Doesn't the fellow who gets drunk know that he will wake up next morning with a ghastly stomach and a horrible head? Doesn't the dyspomaniac know that he is ruining his liver and shortening his life? Doesn't Don Juan know that he is letting himself in for every sort of risk, from blackmail to disease? Finally, to bring it to the economic, uh, though still personal realm, do not the idler and the spendthrift know, even in the midst of their glorious fling, that they are heading for a future of debt and poverty? Yet, when we enter the field of public economics, these elementary rules or truths are ignored. There are men regarded today are th- sorry. There are men regarded today as brilliant economists who deprecate savings and recommend squandering on a national scale as the way of economic salvation. And when anyone points to what the consequences of these policies will be in the long run, they reply flippantly, as might the prodigal son of a warning f- uh, father, quote. In the long run, we're all dead. And such shallow wisecracks pass down here. as devastating epigrams to the ripest wisdom. But the tragedy is that, on the contrary, we are already suffering the long-run consequences of the policies of the remote or recent past. Today is already the tomorrow, which the bad economist yesterday urged us to ignore. The long-run consequences of some economic policies may become evident in a few months. Others may not become evident for several years. Still, others may not become evident for decades. But in every case, those long-run consequences are contained in the policy as surely as the hen was in the egg, the flower in the seed. From this aspect, therefore, the whole of economics can be reduced to a single lesson, and that lesson can be reduced to a single sentence. Quote, The art of economics consists in looking not merely at the immediate, but at the longer effects of any act or policy. It consists in tracing the consequences of that policy, not merely for one group, but for all groups. That's, that's, uh, that's all that, then. Yeah. That's all that, then. You want me to keep going? Just keep uh, reading where we're at? I suppose. I mean, that was, yeah, kind of a, a long-winded uh, way to say that, but... Yeah, it could have just been the last couple of sentences. <laughs> kind of, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, remember, like, you know, whatever you do now probably affects people later, you know, yeah. for everybody. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe be cool to everybody <laughs> because now isn't, uh, you know, most now. Now costs will be later because later was now and now will be later, you know? Because when shit's good for these guys, it might not be good for these guys. Shit's good for these guys now, but maybe they won't be good for those guys, other the guys later. You know what I'm saying? So there we go. Pretty much. That's, yep. uh, that's uh, Mike Hazlitt. Yep. Hen- Henry Hazlitt. Henry Hazlitt. Henry. All right. Jesus Christ. Two. Two. Nine-tenths of the economic fallacies that are working such dreadful harm in the world today are the results of ignoring this lesson. Those fallacies all stem from one or two central fallacies, or both. That of looking only at the immediate consequences of an act or proposal, and that of looking at the consequences only for a particular group to the neglect of other groups. So as we said earlier, all things we said before. (laughs) It is true, of course, that the opposite error is possible. In considering a policy, we ought not to concentrate only on its long-run result to the community as a whole. 
This is the error often made by the classical economists. It has resulted in a certain callousness toward the fate of groups that were immediately hurt by policies or developments which proved to be beneficial on a net balance hmm. and in the, in the long run. Uh, but comparatively few people today make this error, and those few consist mainly of professional economists. The most frequent fallacy by far today, the fallacy that emerges again and again in nearly every conversation that touches on economic affairs, the error of a thousand political speeches, the central sophism of the, quote, new— Sophism? Sophism, sorry. I was, I was asking. I, I have no idea. Yeah, central sophism. What does that mean? Uh, sophists? Yeah. Sophist is a, is a school of—God oh, damn it. Uh, blur. It's, it's, it's like close to nihilism. Joey, look up sophists. Mm. Um, I'm going to. The central sophism of the quote, new <clears throat> economics is to concentrate on the short run effects of policies on special groups and to ignore or belittle the long run effects on the community as a whole. Got it. Uh, there are a specific kind of teacher in ancient Greece in fourth and fifth century. Uh, they specialize in the tools of philosophy and rhetoric. Hmm. They taught subjects such as music, athletics, and mathematics. Is that a rhetoric in athletics? Yeah, like specific kinds of people. Yeah, they like to teach really philosophical people. Hmm. Well, sure, it's philosophy. What was the central conceit? I think of the sophics were like or sophists. What was what? That they try well, and keep rain off your windows. They don't really have. Sp I mean, they're just kind of saying that they follow <laughs> the same. Sophit, it's part of a house. Okay. They kind of follow, you know, Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle. That kind of form of thought they're just basic you know that was philosophy at the time i guess so they have a different yeah those are all different well they each taught each other specific line ish but but what god damn it why why can't i think of what the sophists why can't i condense it better Re read well, the, the thing, like heading of this it's i just read you the first paragraph read it uh, again it's it they're, they're a specific kind of ancient teacher in ancient greece in fifth and fourth century bc uh, they specialize in using the tools of philosophy and rhetoric, though other sophists t uh, taught subjects such as music, athletics, and mathematics. In general, they claim to teach arit. Oh, there you go. This is probably what I should have said. Yeah, Sorry, go. excellence or virtue as applied to various subject areas. So expertise, I guess, master's degrees, predominantly to young statesmen and nobility. It still doesn't help. I, I can't remember what their like, specific philosophy was. Anyway, it's okay. We'll, uh, we'll move on. I'll keep reading. The, quote, new economists flatter themselves that this is a great, almost a revolutionary advance over the methods of the, quote, classical or, quote, orthodox economists, because the former take into consideration short-run effects, which the latter often ignored. But in themselves ignoring or slighting the long-run effects, they are making the far more serious error. They overlook the woods in their precise and minute examination of particular trees. Their methods and conclusions are often profoundly reactionary. They are sometimes surprised to find themselves in accord with 17th century mercantilism. They fall, in fact, into all the ancient errors, or would if they were not so inconsistent, that the classical economists we had hoped had once for all got rid of. So according to Wikipedia in uh, the Roman Empire, a sophist was simply a teacher of rhetoric and a popular public speaker. So like one of those dudes that just stood on a soapbox in the middle of town square. Okay. So just basically a philosopher. Yeah. 
There's something about this that doesn't feel right. I, I, I feel like I can distill it better. Uh, owing there, largely to the influence of Plato I and think Aristotle. That's, that's what yeah. Boner said. Yeah, yeah. I, I may, I'm, I'm the one, maybe I'm, maybe I'm, maybe I'm thinking of something You're else. trying too hard, man. Yeah, maybe. maybe there, there, supposedly there was this, the second sophistic, which is what they call this late first century AD. That's where sophisticated it, That was a philosophical from. and rhetorical, a rhetorical movement. It was the chief expression of intellectual life. Came from Philostratos. Keep going, keep going with this. This, yeah, sounds, this, this feels better. Who rejected the term the new sophistic trait, uh, traced the beginnings of the movement to the orator Esthenes in the fourth century BC, but it's okay. Blah, blah, blah. I'm sorry, let me just skip a little bit. It's so boring. Uh, da, da, da. Yeah, I mean, it's just, just, it came to dominate higher education and left its mark on many forms of literature. Lucian himself, a writer of the second sophistic, even calls Jesus Christ that crucified sophist. Okay. It's just a guy who teaches yeah. philosophy. It's fine. Yeah, okay. I think so. I'll, I'll take you know, it. Maybe I'm thinking of something else. It's fine. All right. Three. <clears throat> it is often sadly remarked that the bad economists present their errors to the public better than the good economists present their truths. It is often complicated that demagogues can be more plausible in putting forward economic nonsense from the platform than the honest men who try to show what is wrong with it. But the basic reason for this ought not, be mysteri- ought n- ought not to be mysterious. The reason is that the demagogues and bad economists are presenting half-truths. They are speaking only of the immediate effect of a proposed policy or its effects on a single group. As far as they go, they may often be right. In these cases, the answer consists in showing that the proposed policy would also have a longer and less desirable effects, or that it could benefit one group only at the expense of all other groups. The answer consists in supplementing and correcting the half-truth with the other half. But to consider all the chief effects of a proposed course on everybody often requires a long, complicated, and dull chain of reasoning. Most of the audience finds this chain of reasoning difficult to follow and soon becomes bored and inattentive, Joey. The bad economists rationalize this intellectual debility and laziness by assuring the audience that it need not even attempt to follow the reasoning or judge it on, the, on its merits because it is only, quote, classicism or, quote, les affaires or, quote, capitalist apologetics or whatever the other term of abuse may happen to strike them as effective. We have stated the nature of the lesson and of the fallacies that stand in its way in abstract terms, but the lesson will not be driven home and the fallacies will continue to go unrecognized unless both are illustrated by examples. Though these examples, we can move from the most elementary problems in economics to the most complex and difficult, through them, we can learn to detect and avoid first the crudest and most palpable fallacies, and finally, some of the most sophisticated, pun intended, and elusive. To that task, we shall now proceed. Yep. The lesson applies. Okay. Chapter yeah. two. Part Jesus two, chapter Christ. two, The Broken Window. Falling asleep here. Hey, we can keep going. Let's keep going. Maybe this is why I didn't take economics. You mean it skips to the end? You mean like the, the lesson? Yeah, the where's le- the money? <laughs> <laughs> so, in other words, we'll go step one. <laughs> collect, collect underpants. <laughs> chapters one through seven. Or pages one through seven. Step two. Pages Get nine to the through. Step two, pages nine through... 168. Step three. Profit. The lesson restated. 
<laughs> now I'll, I'll read. I'll read the beginning of chapter two. Uh, part two: the lesson applied. Chapter two: the broken window. Let us begin with the simplest illustration possible. Let us emulating uh, Bastiat. B-A-S-T-I-A-T. Let us emulating Bastiat. I don't know who that is. Do you know who Bastiat is? Basquiat or Bastiat? No, Bastiat. No, I don't know. B-A-S-T-I-A-T. Choose a broken pane of glass. Let's begin with the simplest illustration. Let's begin with, yeah. Frederick Bastiat, a French economist. Friedrich. Friedrich. No, maybe it's Frederick. A uh, French economist and author who was a prominent member of the French liberal school. He developed the economic concept of opportunity cost. Okay. Introduce the parable of the broken window. Here it comes then. Uh, simplest illustration possible. Let us emulating best yet chose, choose a broken pane of glass. A young hoodlum, say, heaves a brick through the window of a baker shop. The shopkeeper runs out furious, but the boy is gone. A crowd gathers and begins to stare with quiet satisfaction at the gaping hole in the window and the shattered glass over the bread and pies. After a while, the, cra- the crowd feels the need for philosophic reflection, and several of its members are almost certain to remind each other, or the baker, that after all, the misfortune has its bright side. It will make business for some glazier. As they begin to think of this, they elaborate upon it. Huh? Yeah, okay, it's my day. Stop. Sean just like, <laughs> no, I'm kind of curious now. Nope. Can, I, can I finish it? Can I, I just want to finish this. No. I want to finish the chat. It's, it's an interesting question. Okay, go. I, I want to see where it's going. Go. <laughs> okay. Um, so it's a broken window. This is a broken window. Okay. So guy hurls a, a, a brick through a, a baker shop. Um, Are they the selling gay cakes yeah, or not? Yeah, yeah. Uh, 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 how much does a new pane of glass... <laughs> how much does a new pane of window cost? $50? That would be quite a sum. After all, if windows were never broken, that would happen to... Uh, what would happen to the glass business? Then, of course, the thing is endless. The glazier would have to, uh, would have fifty dollars more to spend on other merchants, and these in turn will have fifty dollars to spend and still other merchants, and so ad infinitum. The smashed window will go on providing money and employment in ever wielding circles. The logical conclusion from all this would be, if the crowd drew it, that the little hoodlum who threw the brick for far from being a public menace was a public benefactor. Now let us take another look. The crowd is at least right in its first conclusion. A little act of vandalism will its first... Into blah, 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 blah. Okay, it's fine. I'll, I'll read it later. It's fine. <laughs> but I'm, I'm sort of interested now. Uh, ba, 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 ba. Okay. It's Very fine. interested. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of an interesting question. Like, <laughs> no, you know, it's, it's, if, yeah. if you, you know, an act of vandal that mm-hmm. ultimately concludes in, like, more jobs. Yeah, cool. it, the greater good versus the single Sean actor. slammed a bunch of books on the mm-hmm. table. So it is yeah. his day, and let's read it. Let us, let us read. Yeah. We have um, True Lies, One Deception. Uh, I, don't, I don't really know how to read what this is. Yeah. Starring Arnold Anthony Schwarzenegger. Anthony LaFay and Stephen Marshall <laughs> with an uh, Inaba of the Guerrilla News Network. Yeah. Okay. Uh, there's, a, there's a quote on the top. Uh, it says, when timid journalism rules the day, GNN boldly investigates the biggest <laughs> stories you've never heard. Mm. Get it? It's, uh, it's from uh, Eric Schlosser, author of Fast Food Nation. Uh, we also have Inside Congress by Ron, uh, Ronald Kessler, the shocking scandals, corruption, and abuse of power behind the scenes on Capitol Hill. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, so we have uh, Peek and Me. Do I Stand Alone? 
going to the mat against political and pa- political pawns and media jacka- jackals. Sorry, I was going to say jackasses. Was that from, Jesse uh, Ventura from Minnesota? From Minnesota to oh, okay. Governor Jesse Ventura. At least I kind of recognize yeah. it, so it's got to be someone. Is it good. not saying the book? Well done, thank not you. From sir. his side, I can say it. Yeah. Uh, CIA Secrets of the Company by Mick Farron. It has a very uh, almost matrix matrix like um, uh, fonts to it. Uh, on the back, it reads CIA Secrets of quote the company end quote lifts the lid on America's foremost intelligence outfit, the Central Intelligence Agency, one of the world's most powerful secret agencies. This extraordinary book reveals the hidden and often shocking history of an agency so massive, monolithic, and chillingly corporate <laughs> that those on its payroll, from agents to quote super grades end quote super aids dubbed it super grades. Oh. Is this Alex Jones? Dubbed it the company. He's You're reading his Alex Jones. No, oh, okay. no, I was not. I was just reading it. I think his... it's a book that would be sold on Alex Jones. <laughs> I was just yeah. reading it as yeah. general conspiracy. Totally. Okay? Uh, Jim Cramer. Okay. We have Jim Cramer's Real Money. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> insane investing in an insane world by James L- James J. Cramer, author of the national bestseller Confessions of a Street Addict. Ding, 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 ding. Is that uh, his real sound effects? They're just this dings? book is the distillation uh, of everything random. I have learned. Uh, okay. yeah, lots of balls, every important rule, every smart move, every edge I've ever been able to garner to make huge amounts of money in the market. Dang, 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 dang. In this book, I tell you everything I that made me rich and everything. Are that you going to be made screaming for the whole book? Because I definitely don't want that. I didn't. I didn't make Jim Cramer. Jim Cramer. I just am. I am just a pawn, my friend. I am just a pawn. Any game. so so uh, Sean Faw's birthday stack yep. of books. So since I have selected the stack, you two have to uh, decide on the uh, the readings. Sally, that means boner. Where are you at? Uh, you know what? For probably the most interesting, it might be Jesse Ventura, i got to be honest. Or there was the, something about this inside Congress. I'd like thing that one too. <laughs> that that's on the board for me. The CIA thing is there. I, the Jim. If you don't want to read Jim Cramer, it's okay. <laughs> you can learn. You can win a lot of money from Jim Cramer, though. It seems like that's what this you is want. Underlined and bracketed, and there's a bookmark. Sean Fa, <laughs> who the fuck are you? By the way, to clarify, the bookmark is a naked picture, open, open of... bookmark. No, it is a open matchbook. Mm-hmm. It says black O O B. Black OB. I'm down with this game. Oh, the black in OB. So it's the um, like a random trinket oh, store black. in Ocean Beach. Oh, period uh, B, period. But yeah. it, I don't know. The black OB. Yep. Anyway, San Diego. This makes for a good bookmark. There was a bookmark sure. in it. That I, I don't know. There's something about this. This is good. Has this, <laughs> has this garnered you? Has this like warranted you any money, Mr. Fa? Um, it has warranted me knowledge about my money. And... There's so many. There's so much underlining in this book. <laughs> wow. He did homework. Your visits to your bank are your gut checks, <laughs> underlined Mr. Fa. Two, your next pick should be an oil stock. Underlined oil stock. I Gross. like this. I'm a big fan I, of this. I'm not on board with that. <laughs> you fucking rocked this. Shawnee, are you rich? What's that? You are don't you have rich? any oil money, do you? No, no. I barely have any money. I Once just everyone realizes what, to do with what it. you anticipated, it is time to take your profits. I love this. I'm very, I'm, I'm, this is cool. I'm glad. I'm, I'm happy. I'm, I like this, Sean Fa. <laughs> the fact that I read a book. <laughs> no, you fucking didn't read. This is like a Joycean level underlining. There is a joy. There is as much underlining, proportionally speaking, in this book as there is in any copy of my James Joyce Ulysses. Uh, there is also a personal note. I'm a big fan of this. I don't know if it's a compliment, by the way. Happy birthday, Shawnee. It is definitely a compliment. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- For you. 
<laughs> as a note for you guys, the uh, the CIA, I think whichever book you're holding in your hand right now, the, Inside Congress. Uh, Inside Congress. That is the book I was reading while I was getting my tattoo. So wherever that bookmark is, is when my tattoo was stopped. <laughs> I feel terrified because it's possible that this bookmark fell out and I put it in the wrong place. Oh, it has, it doesn't matter at all. <laughs> but it kind of very matters based on what you just fucking said. But it so to, to immortalize this moment of me mm. fucking up wherever it was because there's no way you read eighty seven moved, pages. Uh, it was no, three days of eight hours. I don't hours. think you moved yeah. it. I don't think you moved yeah, it. Your finger. Well, I'm gonna keep right my place. finger where it's at. I, I, you're right. Maybe I just instinctively <laughs> kept it, and I thank you, Joy, for keeping track of that. But I will say that the bookmark itself reads nine eight three one dash five four six two eight dash three seven zero seven six. Are you Sean Spicer? <laughs> Damn it. Zero five May two zero zero six. Uh Arlington Park. Oh, is that a track ticket? Uh one dollar try. Yep. <laughs> Box two plus five plus eight. <laughs> six bets. US six dollars. Wow. Opening day, Friday, May the fifth, mm-hmm. two thousand six. Yep. Happy Cinco de Mayo, my yeah. friend. I was definitely a fan of the track. Arlington's a good track, too. Cinco de Mayo. Where's right. Arlington? Uh, in Arlington, Virginia. Illinois. Oh, okay. <laughs> Arlington Heights, Illinois, to be specific. Yeah. But yeah, uh, it's much better than Hawthorne Track, which is the uh, the southern track. Did you ever win any money on the on the ponies? Uh, yeah, I think my biggest jackpot was like 400 off like a $5 bet or something. Oh, wow. I like to play the trifectas, as you just read off. I, I don't like Jesse Ventura. Do you mind if I not read this? Yeah, that's fine. It's fine. Okay. Do what you like. So we're between True Lies and CIA. I've been re- I've been oh, listening really? to too much Alex Jones, but we've had literally the, <laughs> the same thing. The two things. books you talk the least about, that's where we're... Well, that's why. I mean, <laughs> okay. I, well, part of it was yeah. the Inside Congress thing. It's mm-hmm. like, well, we've gone through them all. Yeah. Since it's your birth- birthday, I feel like we should give enough credit to every book you put on the table, <laughs> rather than just the one we should talk Damn. about. Okay. Boner, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to the, throw these two up. CIA or True Lies about, you know, the, the government stuff. Uh, you know what? They're uh, six dozen for me. Uh, either one's fine. <laughs> six dozen. <laughs> six or so one, half dozen of the other. Like I'll read them both same at the thing. same time. Yeah. Is it like that book where you flip it over and half a page from here and half a page from there? I'm going to have fun with this. I think oh, I'm going to do that because that seems like, honestly, I'm going to reflect the way Sean I read Faw's books. brain. <laughs> yeah, totally. I'm going to try my best <laughs> to reflect Sean Faw's brain. Read five pages at the same time. I'm going to do it. be horrible. I'm gonna, this is going to be amazing. Yeah. I'm so excited for this. Uh, the CIA Podcast book history. is like a, um, it's got like a magazine-ish quality to it. Like every page is like kind of laid out. There's a lot of pictures and like random text, which is actually more reminiscent of my brain structure than the. Yeah, uh, I can see why you would love that book. Yeah. <laughs> the pictures look cool, actually. Yeah, like, I would be attracted to the book too. It's kind of like a coffee table book, I right. guess you would describe it. Yeah. Forward introduction. Blind man's burden. Reviled by the former Soviet KGB. Armenia sucks! But you already knew that. (laughs) As a source of fear and fascination, the Central Intelligence Agency has been lauded for in true lies. Stephen Marshall and Anthony LaPay don't offer up another cranky complaint. There's enough of those to knock down half the rainforest in Belize. Instead, the the Central Intelligence Agency has been lauded by some as the the bastion of world freedom and condemned by others as the epicenter of global evil. Established in the climate of 
post-World War II tensions between the United States and the Soviet Union, the CIA thrived to knock down the half of the reinforcement police. Instead, they give a new view of the satanic uh, machinery of the information factor that tells you what you want to eat, what you want to wear, what you want to invade, and ultimately, what you want to believe in. Where the war between the superpowers would inevitably mean nuclear holocaust and battles were fought on the covert level. The CIA has always attempted to shroud its operations in a cloak of secrecy. That, in turn, in other words, it's about empire and the culture deception that has allowed us to enter a new age of conquest, which, without ever seeing it in coming. So I'm going to highly suggest that you uh, flip to any of the, the beginning of any of the stories in uh, at least the CIA book. Um, you got it. That's a little bit more. Uh... I shall do so in the CIA. <laughs> that's good because I was getting scared. <laughs> yeah, my brain's a scary place. It's not your brain; it's, it's the author's. Chapter four. Although, through, yeah, see, your brain through a scary the looking place. glass. Mm. How literally? If the spy game has its very own holy grail, it has to be the power of mind control. The ultimate fantasy of any intelligence agency is to employ agents who could always be trusted to remain loyal because they were incapable of doing anything else. Agents who could never be trusted or bribed or otherwise introduced or induced to betray their bosses because their brains were locked down in such a way that it made them literally powerless to do such a thing. Down the years, many things have been tried to achieve this condition of counter-espionage perfection. Hypnosis, drugs, fear of torture, uh, intensive psychological training, condition for a fantastical loyalty to a country, individual, or ideology. Senator Joe McCarthy, whose communist witch-hunting with the House Un-American Activities Committee, HUAC, brought America to the verge of countrywide, um, reads under the under the bed psychosis it's written in this like weird sort of like typewriter font thing no it's it's like juvenile juvenile cursive oh. like, like fourth grade cursive yeah all the sections are totally different. yeah there's like a subsection of the last yeah. part that i read there that was joe mccarthy richard Ooh. nixon pseudobaker television yeah north korea south korea marilyn monroe Rosenberg's <laughs> H bomb sugar rave. <laughs> Joey's laughing so hard. All right, so there's a picture of an explosion. Mm. Oh, so always good pictures. What's exploding? Uh, it looks like a my boat. mind. What's oh. um, like yeah, a boat? That that is more than a boat, sir. That is a ship. A ship. A ship yes. is exploding. Yes. What is the ship, Joey? Looks like a destroyer. I mean, I can't really tell. Uh, is it a battleship? Yeah, it looks like a destroyer. Hast thou sunk one's battleship? Mm-hmm. Right I think it's a destroyer. destroyer. What's the difference between a destroyer and a battleship? A little bit smaller. The, a, a destroyer is smaller than a battleship? Yeah. Cool. Yeah, it's all coming from the back. Like, uh, you know, it's a, it's a big bomb went off. Mm-hmm. Through the looking glass. Okay, so. You know, we don't use battleships anymore. Really? Why? They're all retired. Because mm. they're like. Um, got too old? Just too yeah. Too big like and cumbersome. Sixty-five years old. They're like, you know what? I can't deal with anymore. I don't we, care. I'm we need tired. quick war. We don't need something that takes three months to get into They're position. Passe. Just yeah. like drones on. Basically, it's a shame yeah. because it's such a good game. You know, mm. the game's movie. not going anywhere. Oh yeah, that's true. Do the you game have battleship, Shawnee? Yeah, I think so. We should play that. Is there three-way uh, battles? The no. three-way. The Chinese checkers is the closest. Three-way. Oh yeah, maybe. All right, here we go. 
to one degree or another, these things have worked. But no, wait, is it, that doesn't feel right. The start of no, the beginning. It, it is. Doesn't feel right. Start from the start. I'm, I, you know, that's where it is. Though. <laughs> start from a different start. It's just a bunch of little stories, so it doesn't really matter where you pick up. No, this is fine. okay. Okay, you do you, bro. To one degree or another, these things have worked, but no spy has ever achieved anything close to total perfection or a complete control of its agents. Most spy masters have relied heavily on the recruitment of the right kind of agents in the first place. This is why, during World War II, quote, Wild Bill Donovan took to the Ivy League colleges to find his initial corps of OSS operatives. The combination of education, class, and a certain tradition of patriotism in the people is as reliable as could be hoped. Also, in a state of open warfare against the Germans and Japanese, the situation was fairly clear-cut. The opposing sides were easily definable, without too many gray areas, and the OSS was hardly plagued by traitors, double agents, or defectors. The OSS against the Nazis, or the agents of Imperial Japan, was a straightforward case of the good guys against the bad guys. Things radically changed, though, when the CIA took over and the Cold War got underway. Suddenly, the newly formed agency was functioning in a shadowy world that was almost entirely one of gray areas. It found itself doing business with Latin America would be... <laughs> no, uh, not this would be dictators. Would be dictators, ex-Nazis, uh, and the homegrown mafia. The idea of having means of control, a guarantee of loyalty, started to look very attractive. There was a cursive thing at the bottom that said, um, The suicide attacks of World War II Japanese kamikaze pilots were a precursor to the, quote, human wave attacks of the Korean War. So I imagine that the picture that we described earlier was a suicide yeah. a kamikaze attack. Banzai. It's a hell of a method. Banzai. When Holy Alan goodness. Dulles became director of the agency in 1953, America was Dulles already in an advanced base. state of collective anxiety. The Soviets had the bomb. The Korean War had not gone well, and at home, the House Un-American Activities Committee, the HUAC, under Senator Joe McCarthy, was conducting its witch hunt against supposed domestic communists. To America, in those near-psychotic times, the the idea of a communist was, almost literally, like something out of the film Invasion of the Body Snatchers. These people looked like you and me. They talked like you and me. Yeah. They drove a car and went to their jobs like you and me. They were indistinguishable from the rest of the population, but all in time. They were supposedly spreading the disease-like contagion of subversion, the infection that it was imagined could destroy freedom. Fucking Antifa. And democracy. I, I actually, I, I, can, we, can we stop real quick and, and talk about this rule? Um, I guess I don't really think about the whole blacklisting and, and you know, the, the un-American thought crimes that occurred as happening in America. You know, like people always talk about like um, 1984 as being an anti-communist sentiment uh, or no, an anti yeah, anti-communist sentiment, right? Mm -hmm. That's 1984? Yeah. Anti-totalitarian yeah, yeah. in general, but yeah. Sure, but I, you know, thought crimes, there was a time in America when, when it was, in a sense, illegal to have a thought. Yeah, and we're getting close to it again. What, 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 how are we getting close to it again? 
Um, I mean, you know, this is, is certainly something that is in the, the ether, you know, the idea of shutting down free speech or free speech or speech being violent. Shut up, Sean! I know, as, as our food gets here, it's, you know, he's like a, like a, like a trained creature. Just the, the, the ding of the doorbell forces us to stop talking about it. It is habit. Joey, isn't it a little scary, though, to think about? I, 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 that I guess fact that it took place here? Kind of, yeah. I think it's fair to say. I mean, think about how, think about how a, a modern-day German must feel about their past. I mean, everyone's got horrible stuff in their past. I, I mean, know. it's not that we have. It's not that we do or don't have horrible. I mean, stuff we could in just past. we could look at Jim Crow and be embarrassed about that stuff too. And uh, no, it's 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 deeper than that. It's deeper than the fact that um, we talked so much about communists. You know, with 1984 is like a perfect explanation of why communism is bad because of thought crimes, right? But at the same time, at the exact same time, there were people who were saying if you thought if you if you held these communist ideals as a writer in Hollywood or as just a, a, an employer in America, it'd be harder to, for you to, to live a life simply by I what think, you believe. I think we're just thinking about it in different terms. You're thinking about a different type of dystopia where okay. I'm thinking of, for some people, slavery was dystopia. You know what I'm saying? No, so, of course. Uh, so it just it depends on what period we're talking about. I think just the fact that 84 is written about and it's a futuristic. Dystopia. I'm talking about thought crimes specifically. I understand. I'm like, just saying. Like, of course, you know. It, in that sense, that's the government I, screwing I, with that right. I'm talking about maybe, the, you know, the government. There were, there were horrific rights. I just mean that there's, that we've always held America as a bastion of free thought, right? And free expression and the First Amendment being the most important thing and, you know, what, what. What, wherever you are, whatever you are, you've always been allowed to say whatever it is that you want. But there was a time in America that you couldn't even think what you really wanted, or at the very least, if you thought what you wanted, you weren't allowed to talk Express about it. Express it, yeah. Right. And Sean is suggesting that, that that may be making a return in the opposite way, that if you have a uh, Make America Great Again hat, that you will be literally silenced in a classroom. The classroom, the workplace, the, you know, general society. Well, I don't know if they're literally silenced. Um, no, well, they are literally they're, silenced. They're but... lighting things on fire and shutting down towns. Like, they're what? literally silencing people. Well, you are also being fired. But I don't fired, think if you literally. wear a MAGA hat to work, you're silenced. You're allowed to do that. You're, you're allowed, allowed to, to but, it, but you're also allowed fired. to be fired for it. Yeah. Wearing a MAGA hat to work? Sure. Possibly, it is, yeah. It, is it, yeah, there are people that see that or as school. threatening. I, 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 I didn't hear about more that. Spe- I'm sorry. I, I, I would specify more specifically in schools. Yeah. If, if, you, if you wear a but MAGA hat. they're minors. Or, they don't have, they can tell them like school uniforms and stuff. They're not minors. Well, no, they're but, over 18. But yeah. regardless of all that. Wait, no, not colleges. Colleges. They, yeah. like, wait, you, there are colleges saying you can't wear MAGA hats? No, there's other students that are shutting down the, that, that are trying oh, to dictate okay. exactly what you're allowed yeah, to wear. Yeah, of course. That's, yeah. I'm all for free speech. They yeah, shouldn't no, be shutting down someone's right to free speech. We, we, we all agree. Yeah, no, no, no. I, not, I, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not questioning you or condemning you in any way, obviously. All, all I'm saying is that in the end, we, we, have, we have this idea now that America is a place where you can say whatever you want, right? That, that at least what we sort of, our generation, Joey, Sean, myself, our generation holds this Concept that you can sort of say whatever you want, right? And Up you ought to be allowed to. Generation, right? But but we sort of take. I wouldn't say premillennial. I, I I maybe baby boomers for sure and millennials for sure. The generation immediately behind us is not, are not millennials. The ones that are like just exiting college now. But more specifically speaking, I personally forget 
that McCarthyism was a thing in America. Uh, I, yeah. I, I really do. Yeah, totally. as much as I've seen yep. the front, that fucking you know that that film that Woody Allen was in, mm-hmm. he wouldn't didn't direct it, but it is kind of Woody Trumbo. Feel. Yeah, Trumbo. Trumbo most out. recently, absolutely. Yeah. I, I I forget about this blackballing thing with Hollywood, but totally. but that's just an example of how how easy it is to fall into that line of thinking and how recent it was yeah. that 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 the line of thinking that it was okay to suppress thought mm-hmm. was acceptable yeah. because it was seen as un-american because by the red collective. menace yep right and so now in a weird way it's 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 both sides of the coin saying the same thing yep. where the 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 trump supporters are literally saying you are supporting genocide or, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. The, 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 the other way around. Yep. The 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 Strike Trump detractors. It. Yeah, the Trump detractors are saying, "Shut up! You're supporting genocide by supporting Trump." Mm-hmm. And the Trump supporters are saying, "Shut up! You are not American by by speaking out against <laughs> by shutting your up. president <laughs> by shutting up." Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's 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 all thought crime and it's mm-hmm. all fucked up. I don't. I, I don't know, man. I, happy birthday, Sean. It is. What it is. <laughs> Thank you for listening to another episode of Literary Literary. Remember to follow us at Paul Tinkering on the Twitters there. You can also follow uh, all the other shows on Fawcast.com. One by one, Mr. Sean Fawburnitz. It is, uh, we're talking about... We're talking about Wild Wild Westworld. I will be back when Westworld comes back. We're talking about Tax Before Calling, the OG motherfucking show. We're also talking about Paul Tinkering, his show that was supposed to be a barroom thing where like everybody gets together once a month and people talk about their views and it's always different guests and it's turned into Sean, Joey, and I once a week bitching about Donald Trump. And finally, we're talking literally, literally literary where I basically just read to you, which is a weird show, and Sean literally hates <laughs> And uh, finally, South Park, going down on South Park, where we discuss the philosophy of South Park. You can donate to our Patreon page. Nope. Not a Patreon. PayPal page <laughs> at fuckcast.com. Fuck Patreon. Fuckcast.com. And uh, follow Sean Tex before calling. Follow Joseph at uh, J-O-E-B-O-N-I-E-R-X at, uh, at, at Twitter.com. And... Um, I think that's everything. Remember to give us a review on iTunes. Subscribe. Subscribe. We're good. All the other things. You know what? Tell Mr. people. Fa, happy birthday, sir. Happy birthday. Yay. Enjoy- Joey's, Joey's next week, so. Enjoy mm. your ukulele. We'll see you next week. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Somewhere over the rainbow. <laughs> mm-hmm.